Praise the name of the Lord. If you would stand with me, we're going to get right into the word here. But first, we're going to do our declaration that we've committed to do every time before service. Steve, if you'll put it up on the wall. If you'll declare this with me. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We're no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purposes of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give God praise. You may be seated. I'm going to get right into the word. I don't want to try to keep you too long. Uh, I'm already a little bit behind, though. So uh, I'm going to have to make this happen. Uh, just stay with me because I believe the Lord wants to speak to the church tonight, and, and He is speaking to the church. And God wants to strengthen His church. I know even um, Pastor Zach is preaching over in the youth department about being the church. And I'm going to be along those lines a little bit tonight about uh, this is going to be more teachy than preachy. I love to preach. I wish it was time to, I was going to preach tonight, but there's sometimes we need to sit and listen and let the Lord give us instruction and guidance and talk about the church and bring a real focus back to the church. The church is so important to our lives, and I think sometimes we can take it for granted or we not realize the, the big importance of it, but like what you just seen take place in this body tonight right there, the church is important. And not only should it be important to you, but it is important to God. And we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. And God is speaking to my heart that, uh, and wanting to bring back a refocus on the church tonight. And I'm going to do my best to try to do this and do it in a, a matter of time that doesn't keep us here long. But uh, uh, may the Lord add his blessings to this. In, in the day and hour in which we live in now, people have lost sight of the fact that the church was designed by God for a spiritually significant purpose. And too many no longer admonish the church or defend the church. Too many people are coming too casual about the church, and it's becoming a take-it-or-leave-it attitude in the minds of many. And too many expect perfection out of it, when in reality it's a place for those who aren't perfect. And too many think more of it as a social club instead of a spiritual entity. And God wants me to talk about it and help you refocus on the spiritual significance of the church. Maybe you have lost your love for the church. But I've come to tell you one thing for certain. God has not lost his love for the church. The church is not the building. The church is his people. The problem has become people are losing their devotion to her. They're losing their commitment to her. They're losing their faithfulness to her. In return, weakening the church of its spiritual significance. Therefore, the relationship can't grow no more or it can't go to the next level. Folks, Christ calls the church his bride. He wants to marry the church, not date it. And what God wants to say to the church tonight is stop dating the church. Because he is fully committed to the church. There's a lot of professing Christians who simply like to just date the church. You know, they hang around it. 
They show up at their convenience, but are never fully committed to her. Sadly for some, they treat her like a one-night stand, use her for self-gratification, for one's self-gain, but never truly devoted or willing to become committed to a responsible relationship with her. And this practice of church dating holds people back from the plans of God has for their lives. You can't go anywhere or accomplish anything in any relationship without this thing called commitment. And the people that date the church usually assume that God doesn't think it's really that important that they be committed to or, or connected to the church. Never have they ever been so wrong in their history. The truth is God loves the church passionately and has a great purpose for the church. If you love God, you should love the church. For Christ himself is the head of the church. When he said, forsake not the assembling, in plain English, he said, go to church and be committed to it. Love it. Have you lost your love for it? Now, I want to read an excerpt from an article that I found and let it exemplify what I mean with an analogy. Jack and Grace met through a mutual friend. From day one, they seemed to be the perfect match. Grace was everything Jack always wanted. She was beautiful. She was outgoing. She was caring. She was always there when Jack needed her. For the first five months, they were inseparable. Jack could hardly think of anything but Grace. He need not look any further. He told all his friends, she's the one. Now, almost three years have passed. Jack still enjoyed the comfort and the familiarity of being with Grace, but the spark is starting to fade. Grace's flaws, now seen in the eyes of Jack, seem to be more obvious than they were when they first met. To the point, now he's not sure he finds her as attractive as he once did. He don't find her as exciting as he once did. He's beginning to resent she's still wanting to spend all this time with him every day. Well, one night, she pursues her affections from Jack, asking him to find the relationship. You know, where are we headed? Are, asking, are you ready, at, for, as I am, to go to a deeper relationship to make a further commitment? To her surprise, Jack blows up, and he becomes very angry. He defends his stand. He says, we're together, aren't we? Why, isn't that just enough for you? Obviously, Jack isn't ready for a long-term commitment. Dating was one thing, but to have to make a lifelong commitment to him is another. He felt dating her was a lot easier. It left a lot of options open. Fits his schedule better. You see, Grace is the best thing for Jack. She's devoted to him. She's kind. She's affectionate. She's faithful. However, Jack is unclear if he'll ever be truly devoted to Grace. There are millions of Jacks walking around today, and Grace isn't a girl. Grace is the church. What an analogy of a lack of commitment and how it expresses how relationships with the church is a lot like personal relationships. Our commitment to the church is just as significant as that of a relationship between a man and a woman. Without a true commitment, you cannot only go so far and only grow so much. It's not until there is a full commitment that you can experience the fullness of the church and the benefits and the privileges it offers to those who are committed to the church. Let me ask a few questions. What if God's highest and best plan for our lives exists within the context of being in the right place with the right people? What if God's highest and best plan for every individual is never fully experienced until the individual connects and commits to God's family, which is, by the way, the church? Let me take it a step further. What if God is appalled at the casual, uncommitted approach that believers often take towards the church? Just what if God sees church dating 
as a lack of commitment to his plan for our lives. I want to ask you, do you get a sense that by what you hear or by what you read of the Word of God, that Christ thinks the church of the church in a very casual, in a very impersonable way? Or do you sense that Christ is devoted to the church and is passionate about the church? Do you conclude that Christ is in love with the church, that he has great hope for the church, that he has great purpose for the church? The strongest argument I have for you why I should love the church and you should love the church is that Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. See, I could close on that note. That's a message and a revelation for some in itself. But I want to talk a little bit more tonight for the next few moments and try to push past secular thinking and damaging mindsets that's made its way into Christian thinking in the last years. Many have adopted it. Let's unveil it, the real deal here. The church is not something God has taken casually. You may be nonchalant about the church, but God's not. You may be fed up with the church, but God's not. You may be tired of the church, but God's not. You may think it's unaffected, but God don't. You may think it's unimportant, but God don't. You may think it's no longer of any significance, but God does. He loved it so much, he was willing to send his only begotten son to die for it. A brutal death, so that he could purchase her with his blood. God hasn't given up on the church. He hasn't sidelined it. He hasn't changed his mind about it. He don't see her going down. He sees his church rising up. It may be persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but it is not destroyed. And lately, we spend more time criticizing her than we do exalting her to be truthful. Do you have more good to say about it or negative? The church was God's ideal, not man's. The church is the hope of the world. It's a refuge. It's not for a Democratic or Republican party. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the church... God is rescuing fallen humanity. He's transporting them into his kingdom. He's transforming them into his image. And God has called us to be an extension of his arms and his grace and be a part of this last day work that God is performing. I just hope we get this. I'll, be, I'll begin by letting you impose a statement that many make. Well, Randy, the church is just so imperfect. I went to this one. I've gone to that one. And this one did this. And that one did that. Well, I answer that with, I know, you're right, it's gotten crazy, hasn't it? Why? Because of crazy humans. But let me ask you a question, and this is not a trick question. How many of you believe that the ark was built by Noah? How many believe that it was designed by God? How many believe Noah put his hands to it and helped build it? How many people know that the ark was an instrument that God used to save mankind? Well, let's recap that then. We're saying we believe God designed it. He was the architect, and it was his plan. He had a purpose for the ark, to save the lives of the righteous people, right? We believe Noah committed to put his hands to it, followed good instructions and directions. He built it right. Do you think there were difficult times during this process? Sure there was. Mocking, persecution, lack of support. And while he was building, the world waxed worse and worse. Yet he believed in God's plan, and he labored hard, and as a result, people were saved. Really? Yeah. 
His family was saved. His family was the family of God. Now, let's get another question. How many know with all the animals he put in the ark, two of every kind, that there had to be days it stunk on the ark? Have you ever considered that? There had to be moments of chaos. There had to be inconveniences at times. How many know every day wasn't a picnic for them? A year locked up in a boat, no land, no plumbing. It had to stink at times. It had to be chaotic at times. It had to be crazy at times, loud, confusing. But how many know by common sense, knowing man's nature, that those eight people in that boat, in the small space they had to live and dwell with one another, like living in a zoo, so to say, how many believe there had to be times of frustration, anxiety, and irritation going on between the eight? You don't think that the eight God saved were perfect, do you? You don't think he only saved the eight that were the kindest, the most unselfish, nicest, politest, most generous eight people on earth, do you? Do you think every day, based upon the conditions they were confined to, was the love boat for them? Think about it. It's the same for every household on this earth. Bad days are guaranteed. I'm making an analogy with the church, so follow me. Eight people on a boat that God designed, that Noah built, with two of every kind of animal, in a flood, big enough to destroy all of mankind and cover the earth. The instrument God used to save mankind wasn't smooth sailing. Just imagine this for a moment. You get irritated and can't sleep at night when your neighbor's chihuahua barks all night. But think about a boatload of every kind of animal imaginable. Lions, hoot owls, donkeys, elephants squalling, yelping, hee-hawing, waves crashing the boat. I'm sure people got irritated. But you know what? I read nowhere where any of them got off the boat. As crazy as it may have got, it was still God's plan. He designed it to save his people, and it worked, and it served its purpose. In that season and hour, that's how he chose to do it. The boat had a purpose, and only those who were committed to his plan benefited from it. And I say all that to say this. As crazy as it may get at times in the church, as imperfect as it may be at times, this is God's plan. His design for the purpose is to save the people's lives, and it's called the church. And it's time to fall in love with the church, with God's plan, and with the church. I hope you get the analogy because there are people who don't get it. They simply want to date the church while God wants you to marry it. There are some people I want you to meet who don't get it either. They have a problem with commitment in the church. I'm going to move quickly through this. I want to let you meet this first guy. His name is Seymour Churches. As I introduce these people, see how their conduct is no different than that of some in the church. And look at the analogies. This guy is always on one date while looking for another. He takes his date to a nice restaurant, winking at her, and every chance he gets, he's looking at the other ladies walking by as prospects, thinking about his next date. He will never be content in making a commitment to one woman. He'll always leave his options open for a better opportunity. So he just goes from date to date looking for self-gratification. If something else shows up, he'll jump ship quickly. He's not about to make a commitment to the one who is with him right now. He feels somehow that would limit him. And there's a lot of those kind of people in the church. They go to one church, won't commit to where they're at, got to keep their options open in case a better opportunity should arise. And so they jump from church to church. They just want to date. They can't get tied down to where they're at. And folks, when you're like that, your focus is not on the church. It's on you, and it's a very selfish agenda. I've seen people like this 
run all over the country trying to find fulfillment, but ending up empty. Folks, there's over 900 people, now 1,027, I just found out, in membership here. Where else would you get more opportunity to minister and to be with a family of God than here? But to do it, it takes commitment. You know, yeah, but if I sing here, I got to come to practice every week. I can't be tied down like that. Well, if I want to teach, I got to be here every Sunday morning and be here early. Can't I just do it when it's convenient for me? Because, you know, Seymour, he's got to leave his options open. Dating works for him. It keeps him flexible. Well, let's meet my next guy who don't get it either. Bill DeWall. He sits in church with walls built around him. Guarded, skeptical, analytical, cynical. The church is out to get him, and he knows it. He guards his wallet more than he does his heart. He thinks, well, they won't suck me in again. They're not going to fool me. Folks, the church is not your enemy. This is a safe place. This is a refuge. If that's your view of the church, you've lost your focus. Bill's the guy that guards himself from commitment. I know why. I know why you asked me to come to the church fellowship. I know what you're up to. Always skeptical. You're going to try to get me connected or work in some ministry. I've been down that road before at the last church, and they about worked me to death, and that ain't going to happen again. And nobody appreciated it. Walls. After all, he's just attending to do the noble thing and hearing the message. He's not here to talk to people. He's got his own friends outside of here. Bill doesn't get it. Bill doesn't understand church isn't just a place to attend. It's not a place to just walk in, sit down, hang up your do not disturb sign, and leave. That is not how God designed the church to be. If you're doing that, then you really don't know what the church is all about. Bill doesn't understand the church was designed to be a community to belong to. You know that that's our model. The palace of place is a place to belong. The church is to be a community of believers. Just like Dexter, Piedmont, Popper Bluff, Sykes, and our communities. And they're made a very diverse group of people. They're not all the same. Some places you wouldn't live doesn't make it a bad place. There's good people in every place. They all have a government and ordinances which you must abide by. We raise our kids in them. Now, with that said, the church should be a community as well, made up of a bunch of diverse bunch of people that won't be all be the same. Some that you wouldn't want to be a part of, and some you would. In every church, as bad as it may appear to you, there are some good people. In every church, like your community, it should have a government and ordinances that you should abide by. You should belong to one. You should raise your kids in it. The palace of praise should be a community for believers. You see, people take pride in their communities. People take pride in their country. And so should we as Christians take pride in our church. People invest in their communities. People invest in their country. And so should we invest in our church. Church is just not a place to visit. You may do a lot of traveling, visiting other places. But there is still that one place you should call home. That one place that you're committed to. You may visit another church from time to time, but you should have a home church. I visit a lot of places, but I never want to live there. Home is where your family lives. It's where your heart is. And so it should be with your church. It should be where your family lives. Your church should be a part of your family. Because God never planned for people just to attend the church. He planned for people to be the church. Can I tell you something spiritual? Something spiritually significant happens when the person who attends the church makes it his church. When they say, you know what? I'm going to identify myself with this church. 
like people do when we have church membership. You now belong to this part, and this is part of your identity. You'll receive benefits and privileges being a member of this church. When they join, something spiritually significant is going to take place in their lives. When they vow to be faithful to the church, to support the church with their finances, to submit to the leadership of the church, and to offer their gifts and talents and time to the church. And their contributions, folks, will cause this community of believers, this church, to grow and prosper and return, so will they. You know what you're saying when you say, this is my church and this is where I belong? You're saying, I'm going to love it. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to support it. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to work in it. I'm going to help build it. I'm going to raise my family in it. I'm going to be strengthened in it. I'm going to use my gifts and talents in it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to bless it. And I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to acknowledge this is where God placed me. I'm going to support our leadership. I'm going to be faithful to being here. I'm going to volunteer my time to it. I'm going to care for others in it. And I'm going to love everyone in it. But I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to spread discord against it or the congregation. I'm not going to gossip about it. I'm going to be a part of the solution, and I'm not going to be a part of the problems. I understand as crazy as it may get, God designed it. I understand it's not perfect, but neither am I. You say, I'm going to be like Noah, and I'm going to lend my hands to help build it. So it can be instrumental in being used by God to save the lives of so many people. So that when God shuts the door... It will be full of my family. But why? Because this is my church. This is my community in which I live with fellow believers. Amen? Every community has an identity. Every church has an identity. When we meet someone, what's one of the first questions we ask? Where are you from? When they tell us, it identifies to us something about them. It tells us where their lives are devoted. This whole thing of devotion is important. We pray, God, we want your heart and teach us how to love like you. And God, make me compassionate for the poor and give me the heart for the harvest. Those are great desires, but shouldn't we also want God's heart for the church? Well, Bill DeWall doesn't see that way. Bill believes in isolation, not participation. Bill can't get past his own fears, his skepticism, long enough to join the body of believers, long enough to realize he needs to belong and not just to attend. That's the reason he's not fulfilled. That's the reason he doesn't feel apart. That's the reason he's just an attender and not a member. He can't get past his cynicism long enough to get involved in ministry, to spend his time in helping build this ship. You see, Bill had a hard time going to church because of the walls. Some other person that doesn't get it, the Lot family. Have you ever met them? There's Noah Lot, and there's Mona Lot. Let's talk about Noah Lot. Noah finds it's impossible to commit to the church and its mission. Because you know why? He just knows so much more than anybody else knows. From the moment he walks in the door of the church, he knows exactly what should be different. Especially he recognizes what's wrong. He's an expert in detecting that. I mean, he knows more scripture than the pastor. He knows more about God's will than anybody. We get a lot of emails from Noah, by the way. The complete stranger who observes the service sends us an email to prove how much smarter he is than we are. Too often, those people don't know as much as they think they know. Their conclusions are always often based upon assumption and not facts. They're not privy to the underlying circumstances and reasons for why we do what we do. So they're willing to assume you don't know what you're doing. They just walk in one service, know everything based on assumption. 
I'll be the first in line to say, I don't know it all. A lot of people know more than I do. But people who thrive on knowing all miss the whole point of the church. Folks, churches are different. People are different. So therefore, churches will be different. Like I said earlier, so are cities. You're not going to find every church doing the same thing the same way. Some churches are called to things other churches are not called to do. And God puts a specific call on a specific church for a particular purpose so we can reach all kinds of people. So if you don't know the mission of church you are attending, you won't understand a lot of things about the church. But when you belong to the church, you'll understand its mission. Folks, churches will have different methods, but we should all have the same message. And that's Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but you'll never understand the church until you become a part of it. The problem is too many jump from church to church criticizing every one of them that they go to. Folks, this is not a perfect church. You will not find a perfect one. Why? Because the people are the church, and there are no perfect people, including those who think they are. This isn't a place for people who got it all together. This is a place for people who are trying to get it together, trying to prepare themselves to be the bride of Christ. Christ don't want to date the church. He wants to marry it. And you need to pray and ask God to place you where you need to be. God didn't create you to be independent of him and his people. We need each other. We need a community where believers can come together and love one another. And that is called the church. And you need a place where you can belong and where you can become a contributor, not just a recipient, a giver, not just a taker, a member, not just an attender. It's time to quit dating the church and make a commitment. All churches are, going to, are not going to be alike. The one thing we're supposed to be doing the same is leading people to Christ. Preaching Jesus, born of the virgin, crucified of Christ, raised from the dead by God. That Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father except by him. These are the things we should have in common. But all methods and strategies will vary. So we can reach all kinds of people. The body of Christ is to be very diverse but not divided. But Noah a lot doesn't get it. He takes himself too serious. If you get a chance to talk to Noah a lot, which he probably won't. He usually does all the talking, never listens. You would want to say to him first thing, lighten up, chill out, and understand. Sometimes even you can get it wrong. Mr. Noah Lot, you got to give people room to fail and give them time to get it right. Christ didn't shed his blood at Calvary for you to walk in here like you're in an episode of Survivor and for you to determine who you want to vote off of this island. Don't forget, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's not always how much you know, it's how much you know him. Because if you know him, you'll know his plan, and then you'll know his purpose. Now, Monalot has a different approach than Noah. Noah's a know-it-all. He's, he's not teachable because he won't listen. But Mona don't know a lot, but she moans a lot. You can't please her. She roams from church to church carrying her complaints and insults with her. Her feelings are very fragile. She's always unhappy with something. It's too hot, too cold, too loud. Wrong songs, wrong colors, so no part of the solution, but just always part of the problem. Moaning and groaning is not what God designed his church for, folks. Now, I'm not saying it's not right to change churches ever. I'm not saying there's never a time or situation that's not going to cause you to move your family. I'm just saying people are taking the church too lightly when it's so important to your Christian walk and duty and purposes for your life. Know a lot, moan a lot, build a wall, see more churches. They're not getting it. The ark was the instrument God used to spare the lives of Noah's family. The church is now the instrument God is using to spare the lives of your family. The church is often made reference to as a ship. 
the old ship of Zion. Church is not a place where we audition and you go home or you go to a local restaurant after a service and you scored the service. Well, I gave it a four. I think it was a six today. This is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. We're not to be performers. We're to be believers. The church was designed by God for something for us to be truly committed to as believers. If we're committed to the church, it means we're committed to each other. And if we're committed to the church, it means we're committed to Christ. And we are to be like Noah and want to lend our hand in helping to build this thing. And it's up to the church to spread the gospel. And it will never do it by just simply dating the church. It only happens when we're committed to the mission. Folks, the church is still alive and well. The church is still relevant. The church can still be effective in the affairs of this nation if we're committed and not just casual. We're still part of the fabric that makes up this nation. The church is still alive and well, and although it appears crazy sometimes, God designed it and it still has purpose. Though they want to move it aside from the fabric of our nation and from the fabrics of our lives, it's not going anywhere. Why? Because there is a community of believers who will defend it, stand up for it, and even die for it. Why? Because the head of the church gave his life for the church. As long as he lives, the church will live forever. There will always be a remnant, a community of believers who will make a difference. Now let's meet our other member. I'm offended. I'm a struggles in being committed to the church because she's too often offended. She carries her feelings on her shoulders. She's CEO of the Pity Party Corporation. And her position demands that she find offense with someone or something or else she has not done her job. She's very sensitive. She's here to prove her case. Her time is here is about her. She att usually attends with her aunt. Her aunt's name, me, me, me. Just dating the church works well for her. She murmurs and she complains or leaves at the very instance of an insult. If someone says something, does something, rubs her the wrong way, she don't come back. She's not committed to being here. Dating is so much easier for her. This way, everybody else is always wrong. Offense and being unwilling to submit takes so many people out of their destiny. Offense causes so many people just to run away. When they need to stay here, take a stand and learn how to grow up. God wants you to dig your heels in where you're at and work through things and work out things. Don't be like the girl in the movie, Runaway Bride, when it comes to the moment of always making a commitment, you just run away. In the life of the church, people are going to look at you wrong. They're going to snap at you. They may snob you. They may disappoint you. And you say, it ought not be. And I say, it will not be only when the church is made up of something other than humans, well, it might not be. You've been called to contribute to the church, not criticize her. Christ puts us all here together, as diverse as we are, to grow together, learn from one another, and learn to love one another, to show all of us and mankind has flaws. And we're all in need of a Savior. We're all a work in progress. He promised that he that's begun a good work is will form it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, folks, things are going to happen in the church. People are going to say things. They're going to talk about your kids. They're going to say your name wrong. They're going to forget to thank you. They're going to forget to invite you. Things happen when people are involved. And if it's all about you, you've lost focus of the purpose of the church. This should be a place where people can come and find hope, strength, love, friends, fellowship, forgiveness, and restoration. What Ima doesn't realize in those selfish moments of hers there are six billion people in the world who are going to die and spend an eternity in heaven or hell if we don't reach them. If we don't do what the church was designed to do, it's that serious. 
But Ima, because of her needs, forgets. A few of those six billion people are in the room with her every Sunday. And she's so consumed with self, she has no part in reaching them. Ima makes the church all about her. Well, let's meet the next fella. Less structure. Less does great until someone says, let's get organized. Let me begin to say, God's not the author of confusion. God has two rules for the church. Everything should be done decently and in order. Those are God's rules. To say to less, let's do everything decently in order. Let's get, let's get together on this. Let's form teams. Less is like, oh, no, structure? Less is like, hey, I just came to hang out with you guys. Dating works well for less because it gets, if it gets too defined, too close, expectations show up. Commitment is expected of me. He's out of there. Have you ever dated someone like that? You know, when that L word would pop up and they were gone. That's how less rose. Do you know it takes commitment to love someone? Less is the guy who says, just let me come in and kick it and go. Let me just pass through. You do all the work. Let's just keep it all fun and games. If less would have been there in Matthew's chapter 10, he wouldn't have fit in there either. Because in Matthew 10, Jesus called the team together, the disciples. And he gave them guidelines for their mission. He had organized it. He had planned it for them with specific instructions. He told them where to go and where not to go. He told them what to preach. He told them what to do when they got there. He told them to do it for free. He told them what not to take. He told them to take only one coat, one pair of shoes, no sleighs. He even told them where to stay. He told them how to act. When you come into the house, salute it, respect it. Be wise as, wise as servants, gentle as doves. He even told them how to leave. If they receive you, bless them. If they don't, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet. Sounds like a very specific, organized plan of structure. If Les would have been there, he would have been like, why can't I take another pair of sandals? Guys, let's just go to heaven. Sounds too much like work to me. I'll catch you when you get back. Les struggles with structure, accountability, and commitment. Happens in the church all the time. People are ready to get involved until they're told, hey, there's structure. Like to be an usher. You mean I have to wear a vest every time I do it? Like to be a greeter. You mean you want me to stand in this one spot for 30 minutes and say hi? You mean I got to get here before everyone else does? Do you mean to drive the bus? I got to give you a copy of my driver's license. To work in the nursery, you have to do a background check on me, really? To be a director, I got to come to director meetings? And what's this building campaign that you're taking up time for in the service for all the time? Structure is something Les wants to avoid. So dating the church works for him. You know what I think? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. If anywhere ought to be a place of excellence, it should be in the house of God. I think if there's any place we ought to be putting our best foot forward, it should be in the house of God. What professional football team goes into a game without a plan, without organization, rules, and regulations? What team goes into a huddle on the field? Well, what do you think we ought to do now? Just throw me the ball. Now let me run it. No, it's my turn. Nobody wants to play the game like that. Nor will they ever be successful at it. People organize everything but the church. 
People belong to every kind of organization but the church. We have to have a game plan if we're going to operate in an organized society. We need a team, teamwork, and a team plan. Not to organize God out, but so that God can move more so because of the plan and preparation has been put forth to allow him to be able to move without chaos. You all know that before the glory came, there had to be preparation made. David had to prepare a place for it in order for the ark to come back to Israel. He had to prepare a place for it, prepare himself for it, prepare the people for it, and he had to follow God's plans to get it there. You remember they tried once and they were unsuccessful because they tried their plans. But when David went back and did God's plan and organized and structured the second time and followed God's plan, the glory came to Israel. Six steps and a sacrifice for a long time to get it there. We've all got to work together. We all have a part. We've got to become a team of believers to do what God's called us. How many of you would like to be part of the, the team that won the World Series? Well, if you were, I assure you, you'll belong to a strong organization. You'll have to be a team player. You'll have to make a lot of sacrifices and commitment to have it make a contribution to the success of it to belong to it. But let me ask the church, how many of you would like to be part of the church who wins the world for Christ? If so, it's going to take tremendous organized effort. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice and commitment and you making a contribution to it. A community of believers knowing the plan and fulfilling their purpose in the plan will be a world-winning team. And the plan includes men, women, and children of every race uniting for the common cause of Christ. You know, I saw in high school sports a lot of guys who had the talent, but they never played organized sports. Why? They didn't like the rules. They didn't like the discipline. They didn't like the commitment needed. They didn't like the two-a-days in the hot August. They didn't like running laps. They didn't like keeping good grades. They didn't like following the coach's orders. If they could have just showed up and played, you could have counted them in. But if it takes all this other stuff, if I just can't play when I want to as I want to, forget it. If it takes commitment and hard work, forget it. I'll just play in the backyard on the weekends, and they never really reach the full potential of their ability. And I've often wondered how many Heisman Trophy winners never played the game because they wouldn't make a commitment. Same in the church. People not reaching their God-given potential because they're afraid of commitment to the church. So in that arena, I wonder how many preachers have never preached? How many teachers have never taught? How many missionaries have never went overseas? How many godly anointed singers have never sung? Because they never wanted to belong to the team because they didn't like commitment. Let's do this other one. Then we'll going to wrap up. Her name's Ivana Brake. This is the queen of on-again and off-again relationships with the church. Here today, gone tomorrow, comes back next week, next month, gone next week, returns next year, comes to the revival, see you the next time you have one. See you Easter, see you the next one too probably. Let me know the next time you have a singing, I'd like to come again. She just comes and go according to circumstances, activities, life schedule, need. That's why dating works for her. If I'm available, I'll come. If I'm busy, I'll catch you next time. If I feel like it, I will. If I don't tonight, I won't. Church to her is not a priority. It's more of a fashion. If it fits life today, I'll be there. If not, I'll wait till it comes back in style. She doesn't ever really leave the relationship permanently. She keeps one foot in the door and one foot out of the door. She kind of strings the church along. Don't want out, but she don't want in. Don't want to belong, but don't want to be left out. She takes long breaks.
Avina makes no commitments, keeps all her options open, keeps church seasonal in her life. Dating works for her. She don't have to be here all the time. Try that in a personal relationship. Men who are married, try not going home for the next eight days. Then show up. Where you been? I needed a break. You'll get a break, all right. See if she didn't expect you to be home eight days ago. Why? Because you have a commitment to her. And God expects us to make the church a central part of our life. God, family, the church is the godly order. God doesn't want us to be once in a whileers. You see them. Where you been? Oh, just been busy. I just take a little time off. I'm not talking about there won't be times you'll miss church. I'm talking about those who won't come enough to belong to get involved or to make a commitment. I want to read an editorial quickly with you. A church member wrote a letter to an editor of a local newspaper. He published it in a weekly local column. The writer made a statement, it makes no sense to go to church every Sunday. He wrote, I've gone for 30 years, and in that time I've heard Pastor Miller preach 3,000 sermons. I added that one. But for the life of me, I can't remember more than one or two. I was just wasting my time and the preacher's time. Needless to say, after he published it, it drawed a lot of controversy and debate. For over two weeks, exchanges were being made in this column. Then finally, a 55-year-old man wrote the quencher and put the fire out of this controversy. He wrote, I've been married for 30 years, and my wife has cooked over 30,000 meals for me. But for the life of me, I can't remember the entire menu of every one of them. But I do know this. They've all nourished me, and they've gave me strength I've needed through the years. If my wife had not fed me those physical meals, even though I can't recall what they consisted of, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for those same 30 years and been fed the Word of God, whether I can remember the sermon or not, I would be spiritually dead today. What wisdom. To the once in a while, I often feel sorry for the angel that's assigned to his or her life. Because I know according to scripture, God has given charge over us and angels like to go to church. And for them to be over a once in a while, it must be hard on them. They must ask at times, God, why did you give me this one? He don't even go to church. Except when it's convenient or he's in a crisis. He hasn't gone in seven weeks and neither have I. Can I trade with Gabriel? You know, the one over Pastor Miller. He not only gets to attend church, he practically lives there. Why be a once in a while? You'll never reach your full potential. To wrap up, folks, commitment is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Commitment is will not make the church stronger than anything. Commitment will hold you in place, keep you where you need to be, keep you doing what you need to be doing when nothing else will. Although we struggle with commitment, we are all committed daily to something Commitment will cost you something, time, energy, money, work, accountability. But the greater loss, I promise you, are the consequences to not making a commitment, especially to Christ, on the day it's going to count the most when life is over. Commitment is often the difference between honor and dishonor. Commitment is what helps people avoid the destructive nature of impulse living. There are consequences to no commitment. 
In so many instances, commitment keeps people on track. If you truly believe in something, you'll truly commit. In the church, it's not just good people and bad people. It's actually committed people and uncommitted people. The people who have truly learned the value of commitment have experienced less oopses and messes and bumps in the roads because they found commitment holds them in place and keeps them in line and on target with life they really want to live. People who are committed to church are long-term, which leads to greater stability and maturity and, yes, greater blessing. When nothing else holds them in place, commitment does. When you truly make a commitment to church, it will keep you in place that when everything inside you screams for you to abandon the church, commitment will say, stay. When you're thinking about abandoning your call, your commitment will say, stay. When you're thinking about abandoning your family, commitment will say, stay, stay, stay. Don't throw it all away. Don't let it rob you of your blessing. Don't let it hinder your ministry or stop your destiny life. See, folks, commitment isn't a bad thing. There's so much more benefit to any relationship when you begin to enjoy the benefits of commitment, so much more potential. I began to think about this scripture, Ephesians 5, all the more, when God placed this on my heart. How Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. What a price he paid for our freedom. He purchased the church with his blood so that God's plan for our lives could be accomplished. Yet anymore, we have so little respect for her and become more and more uncommitted to her. Many just want to date her when Christ wants to marry her. Folks, the church is the bride of Christ, and he's committed his life to her. Can't we commit ours to him and look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the day when Christ comes to get his bride? As far as the church is concerned, folks, the good far outweighs the bad. And although this ship may be tattered, she's still the ship. She's still the instrument God is going to use to reach the world. And if you're like any of those people, build a wall, has got walls guarded, less structure, don't like organization, if I want to break in and out, I'm offended, easily offended, see more churches, a church hopper, moan a lot, know a lot, not know it all, complainer, then you don't get it. You don't get the purpose of the church. And I've come tonight to remind you, you've lost your focus. You know that Jesus said in Scripture, go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. This is a place to pray for one another. The church and its purpose is to make disciples, to strengthen one another and send them out. This is a meeting place or refuge. Come here, be strengthened, and go to the fields and compel others to come in here. We just can't sit here and hope they come in. This is a place for transformation to take place, to be taught, and to grow in the Word. It's okay to visit the church till you find the one you want to belong to, to commit to. So maybe come repeatedly for a while. That's okay for a while. But there should come a time to stop dating the church. You should fall in love with her, and you should make an ultimate commitment so that you can enjoy the benefits and the privileges of the relationship. Just as in a personal relationship, dating is fine for a period of time. It's okay to use that time to get to know each other, but there does come a time that if the relationship is going to grow any more, any further, advance, or go to the next level, a deeper commitment will always be expected of you. I want you to stand with me.